This is the Off the Break Podcast, your podcast dedicated to current movie theater news, operations, and insights from the people that book the movies. Now, here are your hosts, Cody, Kyle, and Ken. All right, new year, new edition of Off the Break Podcast. We're excited about uh, the slate we had going through the holidays, and we've got a new one this week about a haunted swimming pool. <laughs> Can you tell it's January? <laughs> I, I know. We did this last year with with M. Thregan. Yeah. Where yeah. it was like, okay, another Roa movie. And that one that one popped and, mm-hmm. and did some business. I don't have a lot of hope for the haunted swimming pool. I, I'm not thinking that everyone's going to uh, think that the swimming pool, the terrifying swimming pool, is going to be like a new uh, horror icon. It's really going to work in like, florida and arizona places that they have swimming pools maybe because they're like i've seen that i've been scared of my swimming pool before. i've seen that pool before yeah. <laughs> that's joe's swimming pool that's joe's swimming pool <laughs> so yeah th- that one might not um kick off 2024 quite like what we hoped for but luckily we have these christmas releases that at least started off really well during the holiday season started off and in a surprising first we had three films in the top five that went up in gross in weeks two and three of their runs with wonka migration and anyone but you all moving up in gross mm-hmm. from 1222 part of that's due to closures limited audiences on christmas eve but still like it shows a positive growth and and legs for three films you know one of which, anyone but you, we didn't have super high hopes for. Yeah, um, I would say we were kind of worried about that just because of, you know, rom-coms not being as feasible as they once were, and the R rating certainly could be off-putting to some people, but that was one of the few that did have that growth compared to instead of seeing, like, a trend downward in terms of sales, and it's nice to see. I've also been seeing online that um, the younger generations, Gen Z especially has been really taken with this movie to the point where there's like TikTok trends now of uh, oh, dancing out of the theater to um, Unwritten, which is the pop song that's <laughs> in that movie. And it's just been nice to see, like we've been wanting to have movies that pop for, you know, the younger generation. And so far, like there's been some that do that. I mean, we just mentioned Megan, I would say one Barbie, especially, but a rom-com with anyone, but you doing that is terrific yeah no obviously the more traction they get in those places it helps the gross and we've seen that after a very slow opening i mean it's going to cross 25 million which Mm -hmm. after seeing the r rating you know those kind of like pie in the sky numbers yeah for what we were thinking so that's awesome for that i mean wonka's already gone over 130 aquaman's slow um the tracking didn't reflect that as much as we thought it would be but I think the, you know, lukewarm reviews and the word of mouth from all the reshoots and things hurt it a little bit. Certainly could have, although even though it was low numbers as we kind of expected, it still has been doing pretty decently. And I think that's because people remember, oh, Jason Momoa, that one Christmas we saw it together. (laughs) We could do it again. And um, it probably isn't getting quite the buzz in the word of mouth that the first one did. It doesn't quite have that pop. Yeah, migration had a slow start, but we expected it to look, you know, similar to the Puss in Boots run where it just legs out and we see plenty of theaters still playing mm-hmm. it into Valentine's Day. And it seems like more families went to Wonka first, so we could expect them 
wanting to go, <clears throat> excuse me, out to the theaters again, and at least there is another option that they haven't seen yet in migration. They might have to force their kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and maybe didn't have to force them as much for Wonka, but that's all right. And Color Purple has really played to the demographics of the film, uh, places with larger African-American audiences. We've seen massive grosses, but then in places that don't have that population, we've mm. seen it really fall flat. Which shouldn't be that surprising. It's not surprising, but the gross we've seen in the AA community has been huge. Mm. I mean, a, a substantial outpouring of support for this film. Which is which shows the one the quality of the film, but it also shows that hey, if you make a film with people in it, those people, similar people, will go out and support that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Barbie and Minions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the same thing. Ken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely the uh, same thing. But it's been you know it's like we said it's not one hundred fifty million dollar opener. It's five films that are going to continue to make money until we get back into the meat of things for uh, 9-2 with Valentine's Weekend, where we have, I think, four or five wide releases now. Yeah, so it's, I guess, essentially playing out like what we were anticipating it to, and it also might be a sign of the trends that we might expect coming into 2024 in that um, it's not going to be one movie that dominates everything every couple of weeks. Instead, it's going to be more competitive and we're not going to see huge grosses as a result of it. But as long as we see the quality in these movies, they can continue to play out and that could still um, give you what you need in terms of a good business. Yeah. And we saw that with Wonka moving back into number one last weekend. Um, <clears throat> we'll expect competition between Wonka and Night Swim because the amount of locations that we have, that we see Night Swim going in, that Night Swim should pretty easily be number one but mm -hmm. with the wonka gross we saw it's possible that wonka jumps jumps and stays ahead of the pack oh yeah and it doesn't matter to us like which movie does it necessarily but that's just the way of the business now right yeah no that's at least that's, that's what, what we're seeing and we're seeing these films hang on in this one spot not because of their massive opening mm -hmm. like with the marvel films of old that would hold on three weeks but because it would only drop 50% from 150 million each yeah, yeah. week and not have competition because people wouldn't schedule their films behind mm. a behemoth like that. But now we're seeing these fighting in the 25 to $5 million range that are bouncing around and will stick around, which is all good. The one that I was most looking forward, I think, to seeing at Christmas, you saw. I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> I was able to see... Um, the Iron Claw. Unfortunately, I got <laughs> doing his. What was that? Your oh, that the the That's Iron, my Iron Claw. Claw. The uh, what what are their last names? The Von Erichs. Von Erich brothers. Yeah, all twelve of them apparently. <laughs> yeah. The movie. Actually, I did hear after the movie, it, it shows four of the brothers. One of them passed away at a young age, and there was like a sixth one, but they didn't even show him in the movie. Oh, and they also like piecemealed in like. Any blonde guy who wrestled in the 80s mm -hmm. was a Von Erich brother, even if he was in Milwaukee. Right. Like he would be a Von Erich cousin, <laughs> yeah. Von Erich uncle if he was older. Mm -hmm. Like they would, they, there was like 45 of them by the end. You got the name. You look slightly built. Good enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I before I get into my thoughts on the movie, I was curious on what was the feel for um, the grosses, not just for the Iron Claw, but also for a movie like 
the boys in the boat, kind of those adult dramas that um, don't feel like they will necessarily have like a big pop for general audiences, but could have like that um, that sports element, whether it's feel good or whether it's more of a sad, dramatic tale. Boys in the Boat worked extremely well in high income areas. Mm-hmm. It was were similar to Color Purple, where we had um, resort areas or areas with high medium incomes. We saw huge grosses out of Boys in the Boat, where it was for you know in the top two in a complex, even though it wasn't in the top five nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, Iron Claw really fell flat a lot of places. I think the um, promotion that they did was excellent. I think there was plenty of awareness. I just don't yeah. think enough people were willing to dedicate that time, even though it's A24, even though it's got that cachet mm-hmm. around it. It just didn't catch on. Very similar to Ferrari. We saw nowhere where Ferrari was an outstanding gross in a complex. Right. Um and Boys in the Boat um, is, you know, luckily, I mean, I'm sure it was purposely made as a feel-good PG-13. So it's going right. to have place and it's going to have plenty of playoff at locations where you have single screen, two screen locations that are not going to play Iron Claw mm-hmm. after the holidays. It just doesn't fit. Same with Ferrari. If these films don't have a big gross, there's no reason to bring them in. To, to flounder at your your singular twin screen if you don't have genuine interest in the community. But Boys in the Boat being PG-13, being a feel-good story, um, it has a place, and it will have plenty of playoff through January of these spots. Interesting. Okay. Because I guess for Boys in the Boat, I saw that I, – I saw critics do what mostly happens with, like, true story sports movies. They go, it's fine enough, but – it's generic and it's not that interesting to which I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that. I haven't seen the movie, but at the same time, I'm like, that's probably not all that true. Like, sure. It could be generic in that we've seen like the feel good triumphant that sports they, story, they the underdog adversity thing. and then they succeed. Yeah. But, but, of a thing. but also there's a reason why that works, mm-hmm. you know, like people do like that type of story, like maybe not all the time, but like we don't really have those stories come around that often to theaters anymore. So when they see, you know, George Clooney, who directed this, returning as a director, people know that he does make worthwhile stuff, even though nobody's pegging him as, like, an amazing director, but he's still a very good director, and he's very capable of even telling something like a sports story about a rowing team into something interesting that general audiences, or at least general uh, audiences in, like, the older adult ranges, I would imagine. Like, yeah, that's the type of story skews. they're looking for anyway as compared to, you know, superhero movies, animated features it's a it's a nice change of pace and i don't know i just feel like that's missing for um you know the critic side of things but obviously audiences disagree yeah it's definitely something that i grew up with and you you can rattle off 10 sports movies that or movies sports adjacent that mm. that have this feeling of just a you feel good when you leave the theater and right this, and this is one of them they're just like you said very few and far between now it's kind of a a genre that doesn't exist as much anymore. Yeah, I'm, or or at least a lot of these. I don't even know if like that's the case on like streaming services, but at the very least on theatric the on a theatrical scale, I can't think of any other sports movies that really came out that fit the bill like this one. I mean, the Iron Claw, which I saw, but that is American Underdog no- with Kurt Warner last year. 
and how did that turn out? <laughs> but not, it, I, Iowa legend. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah, that one. But but again, that was what two Christmases ago, one Christmas. Yeah, ago? and it still fit into that similar underperforming category where it, right. it it fell behind, not as far as as Boys in the Boat is, but it's gonna. I'm excited to see what it does for playoff where you're going to see one of these grosses when you're all done with it, that it does like a 10 X of its opening mm-hmm. week. And it's like, Oh yeah, that really hung on there. It's like, yeah, there's a reason yeah. because you made a PG 13 sports movie where nobody dies during the process. Right. <laughs> At least that I know. <laughs> or it's maybe, not advertised that somebody dies. Maybe one rower of like, I don't know, hypothermia or something. It was the 1930s. People drop like flies back then. Yeah, exactly. It could have been the common cold. We don't know. <laughs> Diphtheria. <laughs> Cholera came back yeah. around and took out their one of their oarsmen. Oh, no. They got Timmy. <laughs> he was the guy that was bringing us together. <laughs> People got spots on their face from the Spanish flu of 1918 or something. We did it, guys. They all cheer, and then it's the credits showing everyone died. Yeah, from... yeah, yeah. The, the, from the flu. The epilogue is just like everyone passed away immediately after from a bad, from a undercooked pork. Well, speaking of death, yeah, there's a lot of that in the Iron Claw. The Von yeah. Erichs had it bad. <laughs> They had a, a rough life for being as well-known as they are. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but it does illustrate that to a personal scale very well, especially for um, the lead performance played by Zac Efron, who um, I'm spacing on like his first name in terms of which brother he played, but he was the brother who, I mean, lasted the longest, <laughs> still living. Um, but it does show him wanting to have um, not necessarily the spotlight, but to have the family's weight on his shoulders so that way he could persevere and be a great wrestler to honor the family legacy of um, their wrestling family. But unfortunately, due to the unfortunate passings of his other brothers who, um, based on the movie, felt like they had more of the successes compared to him, um, the wrong weights of like their family legacy and just you know the dynamics of the family in general fell on his shoulders in like the wrong ways to where it shows like um his states of depression to where it shows how wrestling and wrestling with his family was once like a blessing is now like a curse to him and so obviously i think it does become a hard sell when you see the movie like that and it's probably not necessarily shown in any of the promotion so i wonder if people who were interested in like a wrestling movie knew of like the family and probably were like, I see where this is going. I don't necessarily want to watch that, especially over Christmas. So I could see now I can now see why I wasn't able to perform as well as we, I guess expected, but I will say this story was really riveting in that it just really shows like the, the sinking ship of the unfortunate circumstances when it came to the family, as well as, as like the, um, toxic states of the family while there was love within them there was also uh, many conflictions when it comes to um you know their father who was really forcing them into like the art of wrestling and forcing them into like the spotlight in a sense and not and doing it out of love but at the same time there was also just many toxic elements that came with it too so i just thought it really did a great job at making wrestling look interesting and fun for like non wrestling fans probably, but also makes that story just very compelling. 
but yeah, A twenty four just keeps nailing it as far as the the art of films, mm-hmm. and they I felt like they they nailed it with promotion and getting good reviews and getting it out there. But for some reason, this one just didn't tick enough boxes to get people into the theater. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, yeah. I know. I wish more people had gone to see this. Obviously, but you know, maybe it's just. It, it could also just be the way that it goes when it comes to Christmas releases in that there's only so many movies you can choose and odds are maybe the Christmas season, they want something a bit more feel good when it comes to sports and like boys on the boat or the family just knows that Aquaman is coming out and <laughs> we're still in that trend of like, I've seen it before, so it must be good a second time. Right. Which <laughs> I think we're coming around and realizing that's not the case. And we're wanting something a little bit more as audiences, but, um, Nonetheless, Iron Claw is fantastic. I, I wish it, it brought a bit more of a pop for theaters, of course. Yeah, well, let's get into the article that popped for us over the holidays. The excitement around this uh, <clears throat> potential sale of Paramount. Of Paramount and Warner Bros. And Warner Brothers or sale, merger, smerger, whatever <laughs> you want to call a it. A smerger, if you will. Which we still it's don't have term. any like real updates on. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's no real, like, hard facts that they're going to do this, and this is the date, and this is what they're going to do. Right. It's still in the phase of, the we had a phase. lunch. Yeah. And as businesses, we're supposed to sell to each other, right? Yeah. <laughs> sell it. Yeah. Um, but we're bringing this up again because there was an opinion article on Deadline from a uh, CEO, a film producer in Pandemonium Films named Bill Mechanic, who talks about how pause for a second that is yes. such a bitchin name it, it, go on <laughs> william mechanic is this, <laughs> is this gentleman's name that is such i mean this guy has to be film producer of hollywood six four carry a crescent wrench in his back pocket mm-hmm. like this he's got a little bit of I mean, he's got dirt under his fingernails mm-hmm. and then he's like i'm here to talk about movies and you're like I'm going to listen to whatever this guy says who isn't cracking yeah. me with his wrench. I'm here to make you a star. Here's Bill. how I'm going to do it. Can you imagine handing out that card? I'm Bill Mechanic. And oh, like, it, yes, you are. When he first started out, it had to be mechanic-themed. <laughs> yeah. Like, it had to be him fixing a car, but, like, there's a bunch of, like, stars in a giant circle, like the Paramount stars. He drives, like, the car from Bullet, like yeah. the Mustang from Bullet in it, and he, like, parks it, like, near the camera just in case they accidentally glimpse his car <laughs> he's out there like the hood is always up on this car he's just like he's like you see the new carburetor put on there last week <laughs> shines like, it just ever so slightly so what do you think about the release of this movie he's like let's check out my hearse shifter real quick <laughs> is it about cars <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie about about doctors in iraq yeah but they got to get there somehow <laughs> about, about my my other daily driver the gto they're gonna drive the sweetest ride i've ever seen <laughs> director pulls up in a tesla and he just fires him on the spot <laughs> what is that get out of here you're never gonna work a day in this industry again internal combustion or you're fired <laughs> bill mechanic you think you do that in front of me bill mechanic <laughs> shops on a cigar yeah yeah he had he never lights it like a good mechanic because he's around gas and oil. He just yep, chews on it all day long. <laughs> just to feel something. Yeah. <laughs> just to intimidate the other people around him. <laughs> anyway. Now that I'm done. Anyway, Bill, we love you. Um, <laughs> but he has an opinion piece now up on Deadline where 
after hearing the well rumors of Paramount possibly selling to um, Warner Bros., he goes on a much appreciated tirade when it comes to the state of the industry, and he starts it off with talking about like Paramount, but it does balloon into talking about how this ecosystem of the movie industry to where um, they don't care about like the movies individually. They don't care about selling the movies as something to have an emotion to evoke an emotion out of you um, anymore. It's just about to collect stuff, inherit stuff, and then sell stuff to um, someone else and claim it as it it being a win. It's yeah. It's about shareholders and not seat holders. Right. (laughs) Um, He goes on to say as holders for Bill McKinnick, he goes on, Uh, one quote, for example, is him saying, why should anyone care what happens to Paramount, which barely even thinks of itself as a movie company these days? Because of those of us who work in movies, as well as those who simply love them, the conglomerates, the pipes that own the studios don't give a rat's ass about movies or the people who care about them. For the most part, they're all about making the same pictures. Surprised when some, excuse me, surprised when something original like Barbie or Oppenheimer resonates in the world. They don't care about diversity or communal experience. And they have about as much vision as Mr. Magoo, if he's not a forgotten reference. That's exactly what Bill Mechanic would say. Yep. <laughs> Remember the good old days of cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Magoo. <laughs> I mean, the reference to the Leslie Nielsen movie from the 90s is too old for me. Right. Let alone. <laughs> he goes way back. <laughs> he's, going, he's talking about the black and white print newspaper cartoon. <laughs> if he's not a forgotten reference. <laughs> But funny enough, when he states that reference, I think he does nail it on the head of like, and I think that's kind of what we've been voicing the past few weeks too, is that we see a change in the tide of the industry and we think that it could be for the better and that there's going to be more competitive, but they're going to be thinking more, or at least is our hope, that they're going to be thinking more about um, what what type of emotion to get out of people and not thinking about like, what is the thing that's going to give us a pop? Right, and looking at these new new properties and trying to recreate instead of trying to recreate the the tried and true things Mm. you know you have as warner brothers you have lord of the rings you have harry potter you have batman well if you can do magic there's witches there's ghosts there's there's something else out there that you can create Mm. from this idea of well, people can write this. Well, they already did. Let's write something that's not adjacent, that's completely different, but still carries some of the same same feeling yeah. to it. Yeah. And um, that's what we saw this year with, you know, Universal going all in on, on Christopher Nolan and Warner Brothers, you know, making this Barbie movie that's been probably 40 years in the making. Since sure. Barbie existed, they've been like, yeah. we could do this. And then finally, you know, just nailing it with audiences mm. by going way outside the box and not having, you know, Roland Emmerich directed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just maybe choose the people a bit more wisely in, in making these movies. Maybe not go back to the Roland Emmerich well, but, but just just taking <laughs> taking, you know, risks with the the directors and the actors and the yeah. writing and you know, playing to the audience that exists now, not the audience that we had, even if it's last year's audience, like making it for current audiences, Mm -hmm. extremely current audiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One other kind of longish quote that I want to talk about, like I think he sums up the ecosystem 
very well in um in what he says here the damage to the movie ecosystem during the AT&T reign, meaning when AT&T bought Warner Bros., mm-hmm. was far greater than either the pandemic or this year's strikes. There is no question that both hit the business hard, but like restaurants or grocery stores, it would have rebounded. The move to dump everything day and day destroyed the confidence of the pipes in the tried-and-true business of sequential distribution, narrowed the definition of what deserves to be shown in theaters, and destroyed the regular availability of a wide range of movies not to mention severely injuring the ex- exhibition business. Oh, what? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> the, in- the inconsistency in attendance is not because former moviegoers want to stay locked up in their homes chewing food while wondering how many episodes are left to binge. They can't go to theaters because for what in now suitable for theatrical reeks of a sameness that tells them their choices don't matter. There's simply nothing to see. If you aren't interested in movie or in superhero movies or animated films, which even then animated films is now kind of a stretch lately, yeah. then your only choice is movies with minuscule budgets, often depressing, even when they're exceptional. So, I mean, boys in the boat. Weird, I, it has a pop. Iron Claw. Dep- <laughs> depressing, even when it's exceptional, according to Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, whether they're happy or sad, as long as they make me feel something, like yeah. what he's describing here. <laughs> No, it's it's what all of our exhibitors say. Like, is there something else? Mm-hmm. Like, is there? It, it's always trying to look through our crystal ball and find that magic bullet, that thing that's really gonna work. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not out there. There's nothing that's gonna do the the business like Spider Man, like Avatar, like Barbie, like Oppenheimer. That's gonna do that kind of business consistently. Right. It's not one every two weeks that that builds and builds. And we're going to see that this year when we have uh, Dune 2, mm. Kung Fu Panda 2, or t- Kung Fu Panda 4, uh, Ghostbusters 4, and then sure. Godzilla 37. Right. Like all in a row. Mm. And it's not that those movies aren't going to do well, and each one of their predecessors did fine, but it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot of sameness. Yeah. And it's time to take you know kung fu panda out and find something else that dreamworks can do because dreamworks obviously makes great films and there's a way to use that animation in a completely different way if you told dreamworks that they were going to make a movie about a kung fu panda and it was going to last four films and make a billion dollars and have seven netflix series about it like yeah they would have said they would have said yeah they would have said no that's stupid we're trying to make this to make you know make our money back right to pay our people and continue on for the next thing that's the next superhero movie that we can make yeah (laughs) and you know it it worked and we need to take risks like that and find a way to you know from our end where we're exhibiting and and looking you know it's it's on our end too to try to push the audiences into these iron claws and boys of the boats of the world. And I don't think audiences are necessarily, I'm talking about like, you know, on a very general level, they're not like actively thinking this They're not actively thinking that um, there is a sameness, but I bet you, if you asked, I bet you, if you talk to them about the movies, they, they would bring something like that off at some point. Like that is a subconscious Mm -hmm. feeling that, I think wood is is starting to bubble to the surface now. Yeah, no, it's it's you know, and it's part of the sea change with with the closures that getting back open 
is going to be, you're going to see more of this because as younger people come in and films stop being made for COVID, for the actor strike, like mm-hmm. there's going to mm-hmm. be a, a blip where it's like, okay, now filmmakers are getting younger. Now the actors are being changed out for younger right. actors. And you're going to see some of this. We just need, you know, the young generation, like the attention anyone but you has gotten. Like yeah. we need to see them like to see Glenn Powell actually become a celebrity. Right. Like George Clooney, like Brad Pitt. Like we don't have that young generation of celebrities that everybody knows about. I suppose not. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of, <clears throat> I, I mean, know as much as we're, we tease about Timothy Shalom, a Dean Dong. Yeah. And you know, the Zendayas of the world. I do think that they are becoming like, the well, the more well-known established celebrities, but there, there still is a work in progress. Like the idea of like the cele- the celebrity that we once knew that was able to sell out any type of movie isn't there anymore. But I feel like if the industry really tries and gives it enough time, like they can manage to change it into <laughs> something like that that we've once seen before. Yeah, but the most bankable like female star we have right now is Margot Robbie, which is probably mm. very well known amongst general audiences. Yeah. But yeah. male audiences is Tom Holland. And if you ask a random person in the fifties, do you know who Tom Holland is? And it's like, that's the guy who runs the floral shop. Right. <laughs> like I have <laughs> right. no idea. He does the great tulips on May Day. <laughs> well, on top of that, even those fans of those actors are probably saying, Oh, Barbie's my favorite movie. Oh, Spider-Man's my favorite movie. And they're not thinking about like, uh, the Babylon that Margot Robbie was in a year or two ago. They're probably not thinking of whatever Tom Holland movie, uh, uh, Chaos Walking. That that, that oh, is God, a movie. That, it's probably Walking. a bad movie, granted. But no one, you know what I mean. Like those the smaller movies that Tom Holland has done. Right. That that yeah, a movie star would be like, oh, I have seen this guy's movies, even yeah. like the out there one. Yeah, even the. I mean, you talk about Brad Pitt. I mean, most people have seen most of the Brad Pitt movies. Yeah. Like you just, you go through the list and like, yeah, Brad Pitt. I know him from, um, God, River Runs Through It. I know him from, from that to Mr. Me- and Mrs. Joe Black Smith and, to Meet Joe Black. Yeah. yeah. You know him from those, but you've also seen Moneyball, which is way outside of his normal no, realm that, of, that, but that, you have seen it because of uh, Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. That is mm-hmm. a money. That's like, you nailed that. And that's a boring drama. Like it's not, there's I, not, I actually did rewatch it like a week ago. Yeah. Fantastic movie. No, I love it, but it's, it's, but, but that would be paid as like a boring, it's a, it's a drama. It's nowadays. A, it's a baseball movie without Kevin Costner. Why would anyone see it? <laughs> it's, it's a baseball movie. That's like not feel good. Like it's so business analytic number driven. And yet it's so feel good at the end. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, those two things shouldn't work at all. But God, that movie's great. All right. Well, we'll get out of your ears and off your screens right now, but uh, look forward to Haunted Jacuzzi. No, Night Swim (laughs) uh, this weekend. And then uh, we've got a couple openers we'll talk about next week. Could a different tile for Night Swim have changed anything? Horror pool. Splish, splash, yikes. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) Sure, Kyle. You're fired. I mean, there's no sharks in it. <laughs> yeah, true. If it's not shark themed, is it actually scary? In water, I don't think so. I know. Yeah, no. That's. <laughs> I mean, even in the ocean, you're scared of drowning in the ocean. Are you scared of drowning in the pool? Just swim back up. Yeah. 
That's no wa- that's no tide pulling I mean, you in. I mean, the trailer shows the pool is drained. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They filled I, it up. I hit one valve and I fixed it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all over. They Problem filled it up. solved. You made it haunted. You wanted your own pool. This is your own doing. Uh, bye, everybody. <laughs> See you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Off the Break Podcast. Find us on all podcast platforms or at screeninsider.co. And be sure to like and follow our Facebook and Instagram pages at Off the Break Podcast.